Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. If I were to ask you, what would be on your list of what I expect at church? What would be on it? Great worship, certainly better preaching, I'm sure. Awesome kids' ministries that look like Disneyland and Cedar Point all rolled together in one. A, a, a nice building, clean and sanitized for your enjoyment, especially now with concerns about a virus. Maybe closer parking where everybody was only about 10 steps away from the front door. Pretty much filled with people that are like me. But a second question would be, what would be on God's list of what I expect at church? Maybe you'd find things there, like from Matthew 28, when Jesus says, I want you to go and make disciples everywhere you go. Or maybe from John 15, when Jesus would say, I want you to love one another as I've loved you. Or his prayer for unity so that the world would know that we're his disciples. Or maybe what James said in James 1.27 about caring for orphans and widows. And of course, there's all of the one another passages all throughout Scripture. That would probably also be on God's wish list for church too. But now here's the real question. Which of those two lists would frustrate you more if we didn't offer it at church? The list of what you want or the list of what God wants? Back to church with vision. Reopening after COVID-19 has forced a fresh look at how we do church. Who are we and who are we trying to please? God, the government, or people? I have to admit, there's a fair degree of anxiety about, is anybody going to come back? Are we ever going to get back our full complement of our congregation that we had before it all shut down? In Mark chapter 7, there were some interesting observations there in the life of Jesus. Some officials came to inspect Jesus, and they served him orders, if you will, for unacceptable practices. It says in Mark 7, verse 2, that... Uh, well, you might describe it this way, that he was in violation of standard practices for hand washing. I know that kind of rings a bell for many of us now. They phrased it like this. Why don't your followers obey our unwritten laws? They eat without first performing our hand washing ceremony. Man, does that sound familiar? And yet Isaiah 29 verse 13 would say, and Jesus would quote this back to them, these people show honor to me with words, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship for me is worthless because the things they teach are nothing but human rules. And then finally, he follows that up in verse 8 in Mark 7 by saying, you have stopped following God's commands, preferring instead man-made rules. In their Jewish culture, they had the Torah, which were the laws and commandments of God. And then they had the Mishnah. 
And the Mishnah was a category list of 613 of the oral traditions, the interpretations of the law, if you will. Well, it's not hard to understand what happened. Over time, the oral traditions of interpretation of the law got to be more important than the actual law itself. And so they began haggling and wrangling around about what made somebody acceptable to God, what constituted work. You know the routine. And in the process, they completely lost track of what God wanted out of them and their lives and their worship. But it was easy because it created a checklist to determine somebody's status and whether or not they were acceptable to God and consequently whether or not they were acceptable to each other. The church can lose sight of what God thinks is important as well. You see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verses 10 through 17. I won't read all that now, but you can look it up for yourself. In that opening chapter of 1 Corinthians 1, you see there how the church had lost its sense of unity and purpose. Followers were divided in their devotion. Some said, I'm a follower of Paul, and others said, well, I follow Peter. And then some, of course, tried to throw the ultimate, you know, church trump card of, well, I follow Jesus. Nothing like a little superiority for the church ladies, right? And yet, by the time you get to chapter 2 in the first five verses, you see there that their focus was more on style and substance. Paul refused to buy into those standards. He comes to them and he says, I didn't use fancy words or great wisdom. I decided that while I was with you, I would forget about everything except Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. I did this so that your faith would be in God's power, not in human wisdom. Paul just wasn't having it. He wasn't buying into it. There's a guy named Alan Hirsch. He was an Australian author and kind of a megachurch guru that wrote a number of different books, one of which was called Forgotten Ways. In that book, he describes what happens to so many megachurches who get focused on the marketing of the church and, you know, pushing the buttons, pulling the strings, blowing the whistles, and attracting people that way. He makes this observation. If you use marketing and the lure of entertainment to attract people, then you'll have to keep them with the same principles. We end up creating a whip that's used on our own backs. Churches can become self-centered and so consumer-driven that every decision that's made is based on what makes the people happy instead of what makes God happy. So how do we reset church? Let me share some things with you. If there was ever a time in, in history when Jesus' followers felt like hitting reset, it probably would have been after Jesus left the disciples on their own to go back to heaven. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, it says there that for 40 days after Jesus had suffered and died, he met with his followers, proving in many ways that he had been raised from the dead. He spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he told them, don't leave Jerusalem yet, but wait for the Holy Spirit that I've promised to you. And then Acts chapter 2, verse 1 tells us that it was on the day of Pentecost that the 
that the reset button got hit. The irony of that is this Sunday is the day of Pentecost again. It's 50 days after Passover, and although we may not have gotten to celebrate Easter together or Passover, today is Pentecost when God resets everything. All the followers were together. They were praying and, and worshiping God. And it says this in Acts chapter 2, verses 32, 33, and 36. Jesus is the one whom God raised from the dead. We're all witnesses to this. Jesus was lifted up to heaven and is now at God's right, right hand. The Father has given the Holy Spirit to Jesus just as He promised. So, He has poured out that Spirit, and that is what you now both see and hear. And Peter's conclusion then was this, that God has made Jesus, the man that you nailed to the cross, both Lord and Christ. And then a little bit down beyond that in 37, 38, and 39, he summarizes that experience when life got reset for people in Jerusalem by, the, by this. When the people heard this, they felt guilty. And they asked Peter and the other apostles, what are we supposed to do now? Peter told them, change your hearts. That's another way of saying repent. Change your hearts and lives and be baptized, each one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away. Verse 41 says, 3,000 were baptized that very day because that was the way that God reset their lives. In verse 42 of Acts 2, the summary of that is that they devoted themselves, after having the reset button hit on their life, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And every day, verse 47, the Lord added to their church those who were being saved. Maybe it's time to reset our devotion. Maybe that's where it begins. Let me ask you this. Have you been more concerned about COVID or commitment? Have you been more worried about sanitizers or the Savior? Is your obsession with a mask or with a resurrected Messiah? Have you found yourself wondering and worrying and, and focused on a victory in Jesus instead of a vaccine? You see, we'll never experience biblical awe like was discussed in Acts chapter 2 without first a biblical devotion. That's why without commitment, without devotion, nothing else really matters. The dysfunction that you may experience and frustration about a church is not a frustration about staff or style or structure. It's about devotion and commitment. Just exactly what is it that we're most committed to? The next program? The next wow thing? If that's the case, then we've just become adrenaline junkies for Jesus and not necessarily people who are committed to bringing everything in our life to God in worship to Him. So with that in mind of beginning first with devotion, 
Let me share some of those things that he discussed in Acts chapter 2 that will allow us to reset our devotion. The first is that we reset our devotion to the apostles' teaching. Now, you might, we, you might wonder, well, you know, the whole Bible or the Apostles' Creed or what exactly is that? Let me remind you of this. In Acts chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, when they determined it was time for them to find a replacement for Judas, the requirement that was laid out for his replacement was this, that he needed to have been with them and Jesus from the very beginning. John's baptism, all the way to the end with his resurrection and seeing him taken back up into heaven. Why? Because more than anything else, the apostles were not experts in the law. They were not experts in Mishnah or Torah. What they were experts in was Jesus. That's why in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it talks about how some Jewish leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and found out they had no special training or education, and they were astonished. But then they realized, it says, that they had been with Jesus. That's why here at Marysville Christian, we are committed to learning more about Jesus so that we could love more like Jesus. So that in loving more like Jesus we actually start to look more like Jesus in how we live our life. That's going to make a difference. And that's why we think it's important to reset our devotion to the apostles' knowledge of Jesus. In John 12, verses 47 through 50, the easy-to-read version phrases it this way. Jesus says, I came to save the people of this world, not to be their judge. But everyone who rejects me and my teachings will be judged on the last day by what I have said. I don't speak on my own. I say only what the Father who sent me has told me to say. I know that His commands will bring eternal life. That's why I tell you exactly what the Father has told me. To reset the church, it has to start with our devotion to the Word of God as taught by Jesus. In John chapter 6, after feeding the 5,000, there were a lot of people there that wanted to make Him their King. He's the Messiah. He's the one we've been waiting for, it says in verse 15. But by the time you get down to verse 26, Jesus observation and discernment was, the only reason why you've been looking for me is because you want to see more miracles. You want to be amused. You want to be intrigued. You want to get in line for something special to be done for you. You treat me like a genie in a bottle. Now, that's not in the text, but what is in the text is they're looking for more miracles, and in particular, they're looking for more food because, like I said, he had just fed the 5,000. In verse 28, what does God want us to do? Jesus says, have faith in me. He would go on to describe what that looked like and where he had come from. And they were just so confused by that because they'd grown up with him. They knew his dad, they, Joseph. They knew his mom. They knew his sisters. Matter of fact, some of the text seems to indicate that we're married to his sisters. 
That's why they said in verse 60, this is just too hard to understand. And then you get to verse 66 of John 6. I know that's ironic, 666. It says, many disciples left him. After that, in verse 67 and 68, Jesus then asked his 12 disciples if they were going to leave him as well. And Peter answered this way, Lord, there's no one else we can go to. Your words give eternal life. That's why if we're going to reset the church, it has to be by starting with resetting our devotion to the words of Jesus. Without knowing what Jesus said, we don't know what the Father wants. And everything that our devotion is based on out of ignorance then is replaced by enthusiasm or excitement or the next new software or the next new gimmick, the next new program, the next new hire, the next new anything. Instead of being those adrenaline junkies for Jesus, maybe, just maybe, we need to reset the church by recommitting our devotion to building a foundation on Jesus and His teaching of the Word of God. A second thing to do is to reset our devotion to communion, the breaking of bread. Now, it's not just showing up and snapping a cracker and throwing some juice down. It's actually benefiting from taking time for reflection. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17 in speaking to the church at Corinth, boy, you talk about a church that really needed to reset what church was all about. The church in Corinth was it. He would actually say, your worship services are doing more harm than good. So, an illustration of that, a few verses later on in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 11 is, how they'd become so rude that they'd lost all awareness and sensitivity of each other in their time with each other. Instead, they were just more concerned about getting what they wanted and getting it regardless of what it meant for anybody else. There are three things that I want to share with you from 1 Corinthians 11 that I think are vital to our devotion in communion. The first one in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 24 and 25, is that communion is a time when we break bread of commemoration. Jesus says, this is my body, which is given for you. Eat this and remember me. This is my blood of God's new covenant with you. Drink this and remember me. That breaking of bread, that sharing in the cup, is a time to commemorate everything about Jesus. His life, his values, his priority, the fact that he was sent from God to show us the way back to God. In verse 26 of 1 Corinthians 11, not only was it a time of commemoration, but it was also a time of proclamation. Whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, he says, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. How long do we do that? How often does it take? Till Jesus comes. That's how long we need to remember what Jesus was all about and what His sacrifice meant for us. Till Jesus comes, we need to remember that we needed forgiveness. Till Jesus comes, we need to remember that He did for us what we could not do for ourselves and make up by 
advancement and promotion, education or wealth, or a bigger, better church filled with people that I like because they look and think more like me. When we devote ourselves and reset the church by devoting ourselves to communion, it's also a time of examination. Verse 28 says in 1 Corinthians 11, Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. A time of discernment. A time of reflection. A time not just of self-examination, although certainly that's a part of it, but also a time to discern the body of Christ. Everyone in the body of Christ. You see, our value of devoting ourselves to breaking of bread with each other comes from reminding ourselves of the devotion of the significance of His sacrifice. Not just for me, but for the entire body of Christ. And just like I need forgiveness and grace and mercy, so also others do too. That's the only way we'll become one and prove to the world who's watching us that we really are devoted followers of Jesus. How else do we reset the church? It happens by resetting our devotion to fellowship. That's way more than just a church potluck. You talk about, over, okay, let's just say it, social distancing. It's got to be dealt with biblically. It's not a matter of staying away from each other. It's not a matter of staying safe. It's a matter of changing a mindset of suspicion of others to actually embracing each other as somebody that's valued and part of your life. And yes, you can do that without actually hugging on somebody or, as Scripture says, giving them a holy kiss. But seriously, if we don't get past a mentality of fear of others and staying at arm's length from others, how are we going to reset our devotion to each other? In John 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, love each other just as I loved you. How did he love them? He washed their feet on the very night that they would betray him, even Judas. You should love each other, he says. Your love for one another will prove to the world, he says, that you are my disciples. How'd that play out? when their lives were reset, when their priorities and commitments in life were reset? In Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 35, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. That sounds like a reset, because now they were no longer just out for themselves. They looked out for each other and had each other's back. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there, was no, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who even owned property or houses sold them and brought the money from the sale and put it at the, the apostles' feet so that it might be distributed to anyone who had need. Anyone who had need. Those needs were met 
That's what happens when you reset your devotion to each other. Do you realize that almost every letter in the New Testament that was written to a church, they were urged to reset church by re-emphasizing the necessity of their relationship with each other. Romans 12 talked about the body of Christ and how they needed each other and needed to serve one another. 1 Corinthians 12 does the same thing, even to the point where he addressed the attitude that was prevalent, I don't need you, you're different from me. You have nothing to offer me. Or I'm not like everybody else, so I don't have anything to offer them. In Galatians 5, he would actually challenge them with this in verse 15. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, there won't be anything left. Or in Ephesians 4, where he talks over and over about one Lord, one faith, one baptism, about the unity of the faith, about the unity of the body, and how we grow up in the body of Christ to become more like Jesus. Jesus himself would talk about it as well. Because the reality is this, it takes a recognition of the grace that we have needed if we're going to then be motivated to give and extend grace to others. That's why Jesus would talk about the unforgiving servant or the prodigal son and the older brother who forgot the grace that he'd been given. How do you reset the church? It comes by resetting our devotion to the apostles' teaching of Jesus, our resetting our devotion to communion, resetting our devotion to fellowship and each other and our connection to each other. But finally also, you can reset the church when you reset your devotion to prayer. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. No matter what the church encountered, their default response was to go to God again and again and again in prayer. And that was the source of their boldness. Yes, that church in the book of Acts, that church in the first century, as close as they were to Jesus, as much time as they'd spent with Jesus, they found themselves needing to reset their devotion and their commitment. So how do we reset church? The same as them. We reset our devotion to the apostles' teaching about Jesus. We reset our devotion to communion and that time of commemoration, proclamation, and examination. We reset our devotion to each other, to be connected to each other instead of distanced. And we reset our devotion to prayer, realizing that the only hope that we have comes to us from the activity of the Spirit of God within us, empowering us to do what we cannot do on our own. There was a prophet in the Old Testament named Malachi and Malachi warned God's people that God desired more than just a religion of rituals. And if that's all we're bringing to God, then we might as well turn out the lights and lock the door and not worry about restarting at all because we are boring God out of his gourd, if God had a gourd. What it comes down to is this. We have a unique opportunity to reset church. 
Let's do that by putting Jesus at the center of everything that means anything to us and recommit ourselves to being devoted to Jesus, to communion, to fellowship, and to prayer. God bless you this week while you do just that. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldorf Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at marysvillechristian.org.